this season of Advent, we are looking at different psalms from Scripture or songs in the Bible that are often read in churches at this time of year. Today we're going to look at Psalm 126, Psalm 126, a song of ascents. Psalm 126, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You and I live in a season of redemptive history that falls between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Christ the Messiah came into this world 2,000 years ago when he was born in Bethlehem, and he will come again someday in power and in glory. And, and we, we live between these two advents, between these two comings of the Messiah. And, and one way that you can describe our experience of God's kingdom in this kind of in-between time. One, one way you can describe our experience of God's kingdom is with this phrase, already, but not yet. All right? So the kingdom already came with the birth of Christ. But it's not yet here in its fullness. We won't see the fullness of God's power and glory and the full fulfillment of all his promises in, until that day when Christ returns. So it's, it, that's just our reality spiritually. Already, yes, he came, but not yet. We're looking for more. Now, Psalm 126 is a very helpful psalm for Christians today because it kind of shows us how we ought to be living in this in a kind of in-between time how to live when God has already begun a work of salvation um, but we're expecting more so Psalm 126 if you look at it it breaks easily into two separate parts the first half of this psalm verses 1 through 3 describes an act of God's deliverance that had already taken place in the past. Verse 1 says, the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. But then in the second half of the psalm, verse 4 through 6, we, we discover that in some sense this act of deliverance, it was not yet complete. The Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, but then in verse 4 the psalmist says, Restore our fortunes, Lord. So that this psalm it was describing some moment in, in, the, in the times of the Old Testament, a moment that was similar to what we're dealing with right now. God had already done something big for them, but, but he hadn't yet completed it. Something more was expected. 
Now, nobody's sure exactly when Psalm 126 was written. It may very well have, have come from that post-exilic period, that period in the history of Israel, right, right after the Jewish people began to return from their exile in the land of Babylon. That kind of fits the description here because God had already ended the exile by bringing them back, and yet it wasn't, the exile was not yet completely ended. There were still thousands of Jewish people who were scattered throughout the world who had not yet come back to their homeland. So that, that's a possible time this would have been written. We're not, we're not exactly sure when it was written, but we do know this. It's describing a time that's very similar to ours. God, God had already delivered them, but um, they just knew there's more that's coming. So a question that this psalm helps us to answer is, how should we live in, in a kind of in-between time? How should we be living right, right now? And, and the psalm suggests that we ought to be focusing on doing three things. And, and the first is, guys, we need to worship. We, we should be a people who just, who, who know how to rejoice in our Lord. Now, I know what you may want to tell me, that this, this is not the time to be talking about rejoicing. We live in a, a, a very broken world. I know that, all right? Uh, we, we all know that. This, the world we live in, it's filled with hardship. It's, it's filled with heartbreak. It's filled with suffering. It's filled with sorrow. But, but you know what? Those same things were true about the first people who sang this psalm. They, they didn't live in a perfect world. Verse, verse 5 mentions their tears, right? Verse, verse 6 talks about their weeping. So apparently there was lots and lots of sorrow in their day-to-day -day experience. But here's the thing that impresses me. That didn't stop them from rejoicing. That didn't keep them from experiencing joy in their lives. Even, even though God's deliverance was not yet complete, and they're still crying out, restore our fortunes, Lord. Listen, nevertheless, they rejoiced in God. Verse 1 says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. It's like, pinch me. Am I dreaming right now? So much joy. Beginning of verse 2, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. So they, they worshipped God. And yes, they had tears in their eyes, right? Yes, they had tears in their eyes, but the tears in their eyes didn't take the song from their, from their mouths. They, they, they worshiped God even while they were weeping. And here, here's what this psalm teaches me. And you maybe already knew this, okay? But for me, it's taken me a, time, a while to, to learn, all right? Here's what this psalm teaches me. My world doesn't have to be perfect for me to start rejoicing in God. Have you learned that yet? Your, your life doesn't, everything doesn't have to be perfect. In fact, things might be really, really bad. That doesn't, that doesn't have to keep you, Christian, from rejoicing in the Lord. You, you see this throughout the stories of, of the Nativity of Christ. Remember the, in Luke chapter 1 when the angel Gabriel came and he told the Virgin Mary that she had been chosen to give birth to the Savior? You, you know, when, when, when that happened, um, Times were really, really tough in Mary's world. I mean, she lived in a land that was, was occupied by, by foreign armies. They were an oppressed people. It was, it was as dark as it could possibly be, right? But listen, 
that didn't stop Mary from singing. Remember the story? She sang a song of joy. Why? Because even though times were tough, she just heard that the Messiah was coming. Or in, in Luke chapter 2, remember the shepherds, um, they go into Bethlehem and they see the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You know, those shepherds had a really tough life. These were poor people. They had a difficult job. They were looked down on by others. But you know what? That didn't stop them. They still walked away giving glory to God, right? Why? Because even though their lives were hard, they, they knew the Savior had come. And, and so our world doesn't have to be perfect before we start rejoicing. We can worship God now. Now here, here's something amazing about this psalm that you see here. Apparently, the psalmist w was reflecting that when they began to rejoice and worship the Lord, even though, you know, if this is indeed after the exile, even though they still had thousands of people who were far away from the homeland, when, when the few of them who had come back began to worship the Lord, it seemed to have an impact on the nations around them. So the beginning of verse 2 talks about how they were rejoicing, and then the, the second part of verse 2 says, then, in other words, after they started rejoicing, then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. So when they started to sing these songs of joy, in some sense it made an impression on the pagan world that was watching them. It intrigues me. Years ago, years ago I met a pastor from the Ukraine who had lived through the fall of the Iron Curtain. He lived through that time when the Soviet Union broke apart. He, he was not a Christian yet then. He, was a, he wasn't a pastor. He was working as a scientist. And uh, he, he told me that when the Soviet Union collapsed, it was just a, an incredibly difficult time in his nation. The, uh, the, uh, the economy crashed, institutions closed, he lost his job, everyone he knew lost their job, they didn't know what to do. It was just a very dark, dark time of, of economic and emotional despair. In fact, he told me that he, for, a, for a season there, he said his entire generation just kind of slipped into this uh, deep, deep hopelessness. Well, during that time, one day, a friend of his wife invited her to a Bible study and she'd never been to a Bible study. She went to this Bible study with a friend. She came back home and she said to her husband, I met some people today who have hope. And he said, what? She said, I met some people today who have hope. And he said, they have hope? Who, who are these people? I want to meet them. And so the next week, she went back to the, the Bible study. She took her husband with her. Long story short, both this man and his wife, they came to faith in Christ. And here's what intrigues me about their, that story. What brought them to faith in Christ was not merely the fact that someone shared the gospel with them. What brought them to faith in Christ was the, was the fact that the people who told them the gospel were people who were going through the same hard times that they were, and yet who still had joy. I, and the psalmist says, our mouths were filled with laughter. Tears streaming down our cheeks, but our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues were loosed with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations, the watching world said, the Lord has done great things for them. So guys, one of the things we are to do 
No matter how hard it is, no matter how dark it gets in this season where Christ has come, but we're waiting for him to come again. One of our assignments as a church is just be happy in the Lord. Sing, rejoice. Even if there are tears in your eyes, we are to worship. Second thing we are to do, the psalm says, is we are to wait. Just wait for God. Verse 4 says, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. And the Negev is a a very desert or semi-desert region in the southern part of Israel. If if you ever go there or you can... uh, Google it and look up pictures of it, you'll see that it's a very, very dry area, just everything brown. Very little rain, very arid uh, um, environment, very little grows there, just almost no vegetation. But here's what happens in the Negev. Once in a while, once in a while, it rains. And when rains fall in the Negev, everything just changes overnight these these dry gullies these dry stream beds they just become rushing rivers of water that the brown landscape is just almost overnight instantly green grass green everywhere it's just like if you live in the Negev you might go to bed one night living in a desert and you wake up the next morning and and you live in a garden it can change that quickly and and, and what the psalmist seems to know here guys is that God Our God can change everything in our world as quickly as that. I don't know if you've ever um, been at a moment where you just kind of feel like things in your life are never going to change. Maybe there's something discouraging going on with you. It's just, it's never going to change. This will never, ever change. I think the psalmist, if he met you, he would caution you not to jump to that conclusion. He might just say, "Don't, don't, don't go there. Because God could change things beyond what you can imagine. You might be ending the year 2020 um, in a very difficult situation. A year from now, ending 2021, your whole world could be different. So you might just say, just don't jump to that conclusion. God, God, like streams in the Negev, God can restore our fortunes. All right. Now, we don't know exactly what the psalmist had in mind when he prayed that to the Lord. Restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. But here's what we do know. The New Testament tells us that, guys, when Christ returns to this world, the change that will take place here will be as instant and as complete as that. Go to bed one night, it's a desert. You wake up the next morning, it's a garden. I mean, it will be like that. Um, Matthew 24 tells us that the return of, of Christ will happen as quickly as a flash of lightning. Jesus used that word. It'll be like lightning flashing across the sky. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5 says it will happen unexpectedly. It will happen when you're not thinking it will, like a thief in the night. Revelation chapter 1 says that when Christ returns, everyone in the entire world will know it. No one's going to miss out on this. It says every eye will see him. And Revelation 19 says that when Christ returns for God's people, it'll be good. It'll be so good. The metaphor is it's going to be like a party. It's going to be like a, like a wedding feast. It's going to be amazingly good. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're trusting him as your Savior. 
the return of Christ is not something you need to fear. In fact, it's something you ought to just look forward to this with this kind of joyful expectation. And if you're not a follower of Christ, you listen, the return of Christ is something that you can be prepared for today by, by turning to Him and trusting to Him. Just coming to Christ and saying, Christ, I need you as my Savior. I trust you to be that for me. Uh, then his return will be something that you look forward to with joy as well. So the psalmist says, what do we do in this when life is already but not yet? We're, we're in this in-between time. It says, well, first, you need to worship. Just don't, don't wait for the world to be perfect before you, you, you start in, enjoying the Lord. Worship him. Wait for him. And then the third thing the psalm says we should do is work. We should work for him. Now, in the psalm, you'll notice that the psalmist kind of gives us two metaphors, two, two pictures that de- describe uh, the kind of renewal that God's people are seeking from Him. The one is the, the, the picture or the metaphor that I just told you, the, the streams in the Negev where everything just instantly changes. And that, that's a metaphor that describes the work of God as something that's instantaneous, it's complete, it happens without any kind of assistance from us. That's what's going to happen when Christ returns. But there's another metaphor, another picture here of the kind of renewal that we ought to be seeking. And and, and that's a picture, it shows God working gradually, God working slowly, God working in conjunction with our efforts, through our efforts. And that's what you see in verse 5 and 6. It says this, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves. Sheaves are like bundles of of grain, carrying sheaves with them. Now, as I said, we don't know exactly when Psalm 126 was written, but if, as many think, if, if, if this psalm was written when those very first Jewish exiles came back from, from Babylon, then this psalm was written during a time when farming in ancient Israel would have been a very, very difficult task. I mean, farming is never easy, but it would have been especially hard right then. The, uh, their villages had all been destroyed. Their homes had, had been torn down. Their farms, their fields had been basically un, left untended for decades. Just imagine decades of no one ever plowing that dirt, no one ever uh, taking out the weeds, no one ever caring for the land. It, it, was just, it would have been an incredibly difficult time to practice farming, and yet here's what they knew. They knew that for God to restore their nation, they couldn't just sit around and wait, right? They, 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 they had to get to work. They knew that they, they needed to just go out there in the fields as hard as it might be and just plant something. Start sowing seeds. And, and the, the New Testament tells us, guys, that in a, in a similar way, as we wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ, the New Testament tells us that we also should be busy about our work. Whatever that might be, whatever, whatever is your job or your calling right now, all right? Maybe, maybe you're at home studying um, remotely, or maybe uh, you're looking for a job right now. Maybe whatever is your calling right now in life. Colossians chapter 3 says you should work at it with all your heart. Just be faithful in doing what God has given you to do. As a congregation, 
We need to be busy um, doing what we can do to share the gospel with our neighbors. We have, a, we have a job to do as a church, don't we? We need to be busy about that. Uh, all of us are members of our society. As members of this society, we, we, should, we should be actively looking for ways to, to make a contribution, to perhaps feed the hungry or help the poor or, or welcome the immigrant. Or, or what, what are ways that we can make a difference in our world? But why? Because when the Lord comes back again, we want Him to find us actively using the, the, the gifts and talents and opportunities we have to serve Him. We, wanna, we want Him to find us at work. The story is told of uh, Martin Luther, the, the um, well-known Protestant reformer. They say that one day Martin Luther was um, working in the vegetable garden next to his home, just out there hoeing the soil to prepare uh, to grow vegetables to feed his family. And some people saw him and they said to him, Dr. Luther, what would you be doing right now if you knew Jesus is coming back tomorrow? Maybe they thought he would, he would say, oh, I would, I would stop what I'm doing and go preach the gospel. They said, what would you do right now if you knew Jesus would come back tomorrow? He said, I would just keep hoeing my garden. Right? I would just keep working at what God has called me to do. So, that's easy to say, but would you agree with me that um, sometimes it's hard just to keep doing what God has assigned you to do? Maybe, um, maybe God has assigned you to, um, to a family situation that's not easy right now. You're in a relationship that's hard or raising your kids is, has become hard. Maybe you're in a job that is, has become, started to feel kind of unrewarding. Maybe, uh, may, maybe God has given you a, a, a prayer assignment right now. You're praying for a loved one to come to Christ. And you've been at this a long time. You're starting to get weary at this. It's, it's easy to get discouraged, right? This psalm gives us a promise as we faithfully just keep sowing those seeds. And the promise is this. Again, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. It, it, this, is, this is restated, this, this idea in 1 Corinthians 15. Right after the Apostle Paul is talking about the return from Christ and the return of Christ and the resurrection from the dead, you know what he says there, 1 Corinthians 15? He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, for that you know that in Christ your work in the Lord is not in vain. And whatever God has called you to do, whatever sowing seeds looks like for you right now, in your job, in your schooling, in your home, in your family, one of the ways that you live in this in-between time, waiting for Christ to come back, is you just keep doing what He called you to do with this great sense of hope. It's not in vain. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. So, so while we're waiting for Christ, what do we do? Just sit around and look at our phones? <laughs> no. While we're waiting for Christ, we, we're, we're a people of joy. We worship Him. We rejoice in Him. The world is not perfect, but, but we know 
We know our Savior has come and is coming. So we, we worship and we wait. What we're going through right now, guys, this is not forever. This will change like, like streams in the Negev. He will come back. And we work faithfully. And someday when he comes back, even if, listen, even if in this life we feel like we've never accomplished anything very important at all, if we faithfully serve him someday, he comes back in Matthew 25, here's what he says to us. He says, well done. Good and faithful servant, well done. You've been faithful with little. I will put you in charge of much. Come, enter the joy of your master. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful psalm in your word and how it speaks um, to the situation we're in right now. We live in a difficult world, but Christ has already walked on on the soil of this world. He's already been here. Things will never be the same. And He will come back again someday. And so I pray that, that You will help us to be a people of joy, a people who wait with eager expectation, and a, and a people who are just faithful to Your calling on our life, knowing that the day will come when our joy will no longer be partial. It will be complete. It will be full. We look forward to that with faith. In Christ's name, amen.